Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. COVID cases keep climbing. We're starting to see younger people who are being affected end up in hospital. The plan to target hotspots and accelerate the age-based rollout. Real talk about anti-Asian hate. There were many nights I didn't want to live anymore. How a joyous occasion for a former mayor and his new wife took a terrible turn. And dogs in distress. It's like actually like solid out. The future for more than a hundred dogs saved from a life of neglect. <laughs> You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at six. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Last week, the B.C. government announced the schedule was being moved up for those 70 to 80 years old to book their vaccination appointments. But over the weekend, a number of people say they were able to sign up early. And as Richard Zussman reports, it's causing a bit of confusion about the whole process. It's a vaccine surprise. It may not yet be your turn, but you can still go online or call to get a COVID-19 vaccination appointment. Why would we stop something that moves people up? This is happening very rarely. This is how it's supposed to work. If you're born in 1943 or earlier, you can book any time now. In 1944 or earlier, you're supposed to be eligible on Tuesday, March 23rd at noon. 1945 or earlier, the phone line opens on Thursday at noon. And 1946 or earlier, the phone line opens Saturday, March 27th at noon. But even so, there are some in their mid-70s calling early and getting an appointment. I think overwhelmingly people are following the rules, uh, Richard. And, uh, you know, we've had uh, 540,000 shots delivered. This seems to be the problem. Although the province is saying one thing, the Fraser Health website is saying something completely different. You can see here instructions for anyone born in 1946 or earlier to book. I think it's unfair that people have been told to do one thing and then are seeing other people do something different and being uh, quote-unquote rewarded for it. There are early bookings happening in all health authorities, but Dr. Bonnie Henry says in some cases, there will be times when someone shows up for an appointment they shouldn't have and they won't get their shot. There have been some occasions where people have, uh, who are not even in their 70s, for example, have tried to book appointments and, and their, their appointments are cancelled or if they arrive at a clinic, they're told that they're not eligible. The early booking seen by provincial health is a good sign, but it could turn bad quickly. The province almost running out of Pfizer vaccine until more arrived in the nick of time on Monday. We were right up to the edge of our Pfizer. Fortunately, more has come today. There was one type of early booking potentially encouraged. If you're 78 years old and married to a 72-year-old, even though both aren't eligible, they are being told they can book and get the shot at the same time. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
With recent daily cases averaging higher, here's a look at the numbers for the past three counting periods. We have 1,785 new cases. That brings BC's total to 92,571. Nearly 5,300 of those cases are currently active. 303 people are in hospital, 80 in the ICU. Sadly, 16 more people have died. Over the past three days, more than 49,000 doses of vaccine have been administered. There is increasing concern about the rapid growth of COVID-19 variants. 166 new variant cases have been identified, bringing the provincial total to 1,366. Now, 237 of those are considered active. And as Ted Chernecki reports, that growth is triggering fears about the pandemic outpacing the province's vaccine rollout. So much to do, so little time to do it. The UK variant is more contagious, dangerous, and it's spreading in BC. We're probably not going to win the race between vaccination and the B117 variant. And that's because partly, you know, it's here now, it's already establishing and rising, and it has a higher transmission rate. But it might still be manageable. B117, the UK variant, is running at less than 10% of active COVID cases, well below that in Ontario, for example. And vaccines can be targeted. Strategic use of the vaccine is an excellent tool. It's what we've chosen to do in Prince Rupert. And as vaccine capacity increases, it's certainly something that I would consider very strongly. But some believe there's much more BC could be doing to screen for emerging hotspots. When it comes to testing, BC lags far behind. To date, just over 2 million tests, or the equivalent of 42% of BC's population. Equivalent because some people have had multiple tests. Compare that to Alberta at almost 3.6 million, or 82% of its population. Or Ontario at over 12 million and 83%. Mass screening and wider testing of people without symptoms could be powerful, especially people at high risk. So if we wait until people have symptoms and then test, we've missed a lot of their infectious period. And if BC is going to meet its target of all adults having at least one dose in their arm by June, it's really going to have to step up its game. In the first quarter, BC will have vaccinated about one-tenth of the population in three months. We will need to vaccinate in the second quarter seven times faster than we have in the first quarter. On average, that's almost 40,000 doses a day. And that's if the UK variant doesn't spread uncontrollably. Ted Chernecki, Global News. And that brings us to the topic of the third wave. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the uptick across the board when it comes to the numbers. Keith, I know Dr. Henry kind of bristles at the term that we use waves, but uh, where are we at? And is this the start of it at least? Well, we're certainly escalating, whether you want to call it a wave or not. So we peaked back in mid-December, and then since then, our numbers continued, started to go down until we got to early to mid-February, and since then, the numbers have continued to go up. So some of the key uh, indicators, take a look at them right now. In terms of hospitalizations, today we've got 303 people in hospital. That's the most in hospital since January 26th. Active cases now are starting to climb as well at their highest number since January 8th. Uh, the daily case average is about 599 cases. That's the highest since December 20th. Very troubling. These three key indicators all showing upward ticks. Do we call it a wave? Dr. Bonnie Henry doesn't like that term, but she does note the cases are going up. It's been a gradual increase. So I, I, 
I, I've never been a f fan of the wave analogy, um, but you know we we had a very high peak in our second wave prior to immunization being available, and now we're at a at a high level, a level that keeps me awake at night for sure. Um, at a point where we are trying to target uh, where transmission in our community is happening um, as best we can with with the vaccines that we have available. Now back to the vaccine rollout. Some good news today, uh, guys. The, uh, we had almost hit a wall uh, this week if we didn't get more uh, Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca in. But the good news today is 105,300 doses of Pfizer arrived. There's going to be more Moderna coming in as well. So we're going to have about 200,000 doses right now. We're going to plow through those very quickly, though. Uh, and again, we need this vaccine arriving on a very, very regular basis because we've still got a long ways to go. Let's hope we can keep up the pace. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. The killings of six East Asian women in Atlanta has prompted many to speak out about rising anti-Asian attacks, including Eileen Park, the new wife of former Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson. Reaction to the couple's wedding included a wave of hateful and racist comments online. As she tells Global's Amadagahi, this is only a small glimpse into what many Asian women continue to experience. I just can't keep quiet anymore. This is Eileen Park, a former American journalist and accomplished communications professional now living in Vancouver. Last week, her wedding to the former mayor of that city, Gregor Robertson, was featured in Vogue magazine. What happened next, though, forced her to speak out in a nine-minute video on Facebook. I was bombarded with hate-filled messages. People laughing about men having yellow fever. I got to a point where I could no longer keep quiet about my personal experience being hypersexualized, being fetishized because I knew that my silence would allow that kind of behavior to continue. Conversations are growing louder surrounding racism targeting people of Asian descent, particularly women, sparked by a shooting spree at three different Atlanta spas last week where six of the eight people killed were Asian women. This really is an extraordinary time, a painful one and a hopeful one, because I have never seen a national, international dialogue happening about our historically invisible pain. In the more than 600 anti-Asian racism incidents reported to online resources since last March, people of Asian descent were targeted more often in Canada than the U.S., with BC reporting more racist incidents per Asian capita than any subnational region in North America. In our province, Asian women were also most often victimized, accounting for nearly 70% of reports. And of those incidents mentioned, verbal abuse appears to be widespread, with most victims reporting racial slurs, threats, and derogatory remarks. It's rooted in being perceived as something foreign or exotic. It's rooted in someone saying, wow, Gregor's married to a Korean. Park says what happened in Atlanta changed everything for her. And she hopes by sharing this story, it will encourage more Asian women to do the same, joining what is now an international push for change. Emadagahi, Global News. And some racist tweets resurface on Twitter. A whistleblower pointed them out to Global News, alleging they're from a person who's now in a position of leadership overseeing fitness programs at Vancouver Park Board facilities. That's next on the News Hour. This tree is 200 years old. The rally to save an old cedar in North Vancouver, while the neighborhood giant is on the chopping block later on the News Hour.
And state of emergency extended in Miami Beach. The COVID crackdown spoiling spring break later. Right now, though, historic tweets have resurfaced, appearing to show racist, sexist and homophobic comments possibly linked to an employee of the Vancouver Park Board. As Grace Key reports, the Park Board remains tight-lipped about the situation and a warning, some of the language in this story is offensive. These are just some of the tweets and retweets possibly made by a supervisor with the Vancouver Park Board. Apparently, only Asians can call each other squinty-eyed b****. Who knew? How can you tell you're in Vancouver? Everyone except for you is of an Asian descent. This is what I quietly sing to myself every time I walk by an Asian person. Opa Gangnam style. It's not racist, is it? Twitter is the only place where black people follow me and I don't get nervous. Several posts also sexually objectify women. Others can be characterized as homophobic. I think it's really... Sorry. I think it's really hard to read those. Um... Because I have friends and I have family that are Asian heritage and to read those you realize the hate that is out there. Vancouver City Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young is not directly involved in the handling of this case. But as a former park board chair says, if it's been brought to the attention of the board, it is their responsibility to investigate the matter thoroughly. We need to say to the public every single time it will be investigated and every single time there will be consequences and appropriate action taken because there is zero tolerance for hate in the city of Vancouver. The comments were posted between 2011 and 2013, prior to the person's employment with the Vancouver Park Board. Global BC is not identifying the individual as we await their response. The account was suspended after we brought it to the Park Board's attention. The Park Board has declined any comment and won't say if this matter is at the very least being investigated or whether the supervisor works directly with the public, stating, we cannot comment on individual employee matters, but can advise that the city does investigate allegations which are brought to our attention. For any given investigation, if you have respondents that are coming forward, they may do so and, re- and request confidentiality and that you need to be re- respectful of that if they're victims. The Vancouver Park Board has also not commented on the person's current employment status. Grace Key, Global News. A Vancouver coffee shop is taking steps to help protect people who might feel unsafe on the street by creating a special code order. Non-fat Americano. A non-fat Americano is what people can order at Harkin Coffee on the downtown east side if they feel in danger in any way. Now, the drink doesn't actually exist, but staff will know what it means. The shop's director of, o- of operations created that code after seeing stories last week about a Vancouver woman who shot cell phone video of a man she says followed her for 40 minutes. Assaults and attacks, they don't only happen at night, and they don't only, only happen in certain neighborhoods. You never really know. And so it felt like an easy thing to do. We really hope that we never have to hear that code word ever used. But it, is, uh, it was important for us to, to let people know that it, it exists. And then also just in general, it's a safe space, to come, safe space to come into. Stewart's code is similar to some bars that have bad date codes, which bartenders recognize. He's hoping more businesses of all kinds will adopt codes as well. A man has been arrested in connection with a string of random assaults in Victoria. Friday, Victoria police say they were called to Johnson and Wharf Streets after a woman was punched there, bystanders followed the man and detained him until officers arrived, after which he allegedly assaulted a police officer. The officer wasn't heard. 
The man is suspected of also punching a pregnant woman in the 900 block of Pandora Avenue earlier that day. Both victims were traumatized, but their injuries are not considered serious. So he faces two, charges, two counts of assault, recommended charges, two counts of assault, uh, one count assaulting a police officer, and as well, uh, breach of a conditional sentence order. He was on conditions uh, at the time of these offenses, uh, and he's breached those. Uh, and the conditions stem from an assault causing bodily harm conviction in 2019, where he, he actually exhibited a similar pattern. Still ahead, caring for more than 100 neglected dogs. What's next for dozens of pups rescued from a life of squalor? Also ahead, the dangerous new drug that makes it nearly impossible to bring someone back from an overdose. Traffic is steady over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but keep in mind overnight maintenance has you down to one lane in each direction from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Frontline healthcare and outreach workers are warning about a frightening new development in the deadly overdose crisis. Street drugs cut with benzodiazepines, a type of powerful tranquilizer. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the combination means that naloxone, which is used to reverse opioid overdoses, doesn't work. Nearly five years into the opioid crisis, there is no end in sight. Five people every day killed by the poison drug supply. A number that would be much higher if not for the opioid reversal agent naloxone. You hear me? Now even that band-aid isn't enough. Fentanyl dealers often adding benzodiazepine in increasing amounts to their chemistry experiments, powerful sedatives, and the effects not susceptible to naloxone. It's a completely different drug. Completely different receptors are happening, completely different chemistry, and a completely different um, you know, interaction all the way around. Benzodiazepines, known as benzos, are showing up across the province. Testing has shown they are involved in 30% of all drug deaths. In Chilliwack, the Fraser Health Authority took the step this week of issuing a warning to users about the dangers of fentanyl laced with benzos. These constellations of prolonged loss of consciousness and then uh, horrid associated outcomes like sexual assault and theft and assault during uh, toxicity events. According to drug policy advocates, what is needed is safe, stable supply. This is about lives. And when it's about lives, uh, we all need to act, and we need to act efficiently, effectively, and, uh, and quickly. The federal government has promised to fund safe supply projects and reduce penalties for drug-based offenses. According to people dealing with the fentanyl crisis on a daily basis, small steps that don't go nearly far enough. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. We're learning more tonight about the monumental effort involved in caring for more than 100 dogs that had been living in filth in northern B.C. Kylie Stanton has the latest on the rescue and the very expensive care needed to prepare them for adoption. Hello. Playful, loud and full of energy, despite what they've been through. So right now we have 21 dogs that have been sent down from our Drives for Lives transfer program. Now multiply that by five or so, and that's how many dogs were at a property near Fort Nelson. 119 in total, 
all of them surrendered into care on March 12th. I was shocked at the numbers, absolutely shocked. The initial call was for only 22 dogs, but the numbers just kept climbing as the owner handed over each one through a trailer window, what quickly became a monumental rescue effort, requiring the help of both the Fort Nelson RCMP and fire department, bringing in crates and vehicles for transport. The living conditions, they were not ideal, so we had to get them out of there. There was no evidence the individuals were breeding the dogs for sale. And while the investigation is ongoing, so far no animal cruelty charges are being recommended. We have to look at all the facts and then we make a decision whether to recommend charges to Crown Council. In the meantime, the focus is on nursing the dogs back to health. The mixed breeds that include terriers, shih tzus, papillons and other small breed crosses were transferred from the Fort Nelson property to BCSPCA facilities in Fort St. John and Dawson Creek, where staff worked around the clock triaging the animals. Yeah, I see it's under. They have since been moved to other locations throughout the province where the care is ongoing. Many, many dogs were heavily matted. Their uh, nails were overgrown, um, ear problems, ear infections, eye problems, and obviously dental issues as well. And that has come at a huge cost, already $14,000 and counting. A fundraiser is now underway to ease the strain on BCSPCA resources. And while none of the dogs are currently available for adoption, the hope is to soon find each one a forever home. They will be on our website once they're available for adoption. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Pretty sure people will line up for those little guys. All right, just ahead, spring break super spreaders. There's a curfew in effect. The state of emergency in Miami Beach extended and the latest on getting everyone in the country vaccinated. And saving spotted owls, the bird that just gave the BC breeding program a big boost. Counterflow is out over here on Highway 99 at the Massey Tunnel. Traffic is moving well both ways. Keep in mind, though, much like the Alex Fraser Bridge, there is overnight road work between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Is buying a home still possible? A CIBC Mortgage Advisor will show you how to make your ambition real. Plus, get up to $3,000 cash back. Conditions apply. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The trial of a second Canadian held in China on spying charges has ended without a verdict. The uh, court process itself is uh, not transparent. Uh, we're uh, very troubled by this. Michael Kovrig is the second Canadian citizen to be held for more than two years on spying charges in China. Many believe the move is retaliation for the arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou at Vancouver International Airport two years ago. On Friday, Michael Spavor's trial also ended without a verdict. Canadian diplomats and lawyers have been barred from attending either trial. The reason that has been given to us why we are being denied access to our, our citizens facing trial is this is a uh, so-called uh, national security case and therefore it's a closed case, a uh, closed courtroom. The United States stands shoulder to shoulder with Canada in calling for the immediate release of their two citizens from arbitrary detention. Thank you. More than two dozen diplomats representing 26 different countries gathered to show their support outside the Beijing courthouse. Chinese courts have a conviction rate of more than 99 percent. 
The United States is still struggling to gain control of the COVID-19 outbreak with more than 55,000 daily cases on average. And while more than 2 million vaccines are being administered every day, loosened restrictions and spring break sun seekers are prompting concerns the success could easily be undone. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. By the thousands, spring break revelers in Miami there is a curfew in effect. defied rules meant to keep crowds at bay. It has certainly felt like our city has been a, a tinder over the last few weeks. Florida has few, if any, restrictions, meaning city officials were forced to step up. They got a SWAT team out. Police, sometimes using brute force, went face to face with those who wouldn't go home. It's a little ridiculous. But that carefree attitude could have serious consequences. The demographics of who is contracting moderate to severe COVID requiring um, hospital stays and medical intervention is shifting downward. New data shows a growing number of patients are under 40. That comes as cases increase in nearly half of the country. Florida is now the third state to surpass 2 million cases. At least 1,000 are variant strains. The likelihood of these individuals contracting and spreading the virus amongst themselves is relatively high. When they then go back to their home states... The U.S. has nearly doubled the number of variant cases in just the last two weeks, while daily cases average 56,000. We are a critical point in this pandemic. As more states reopen and more people move about, the CDC is urging caution, with so much of the population still unvaccinated. If we don't take the right actions now, we will have another avoidable surge. There are more tools coming. AstraZeneca could receive emergency authorization by May after additional studies show full prevention of severe disease and hospitalizations, 80% efficacy against symptomatic COVID-19, and no significant safety risks, including blood clots. This presents one more option of a highly safe and effective vaccine. The findings could shore up confidence in the vaccine and unlock millions of doses for both Americans and the world. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. We have some breaking news for you now on what appears to be the ending of a mass shooting in Colorado. There are reports at least six people have been killed, including a police officer, in a shooting at a supermarket in Boulder. First responders quickly rushed to the scene and residents were told to avoid the area. Police say a suspect is now in custody. Officers are currently holding a briefing and we will have the latest as it becomes available. In Health Matters tonight, the World Health Organization is calling out how little has been done to avert the failure of equitable distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. The gap between the number of vaccines administered in rich countries and those shared through COVAX is growing fast. The WHO is urging world leaders to step up. The inequitable distribution of vaccines is not just a moral outrage. It's also economically and epidemiologically self-defeating. Some countries are racing to vaccinate their entire populations, while other countries have nothing. The director general said while richer nations are moving on to vaccinate their younger, healthier populations, it's at the cost of at-risk groups in other countries. And while praising AstraZeneca, the WHO called on other vaccine producers to license their technology to other companies to help ramp up production and distribute more vaccines around the globe. The organization's appeal comes as warnings of a third wave of the coronavirus hits Europe. 
Well, give yourself a pat on the back if you know March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Often many people don't want to talk about the disease because the symptoms can be embarrassing. But as Global's Catherine Ward reports, doctors are noticing an increase in colon cancer in younger patients. And addressing the issues head on is the best defense. I was completely shocked. Um, I don't have any family history or any lifestyle risks. When 38-year-old Melissa Ng thinks about the future, she pictures traveling and being with her friends. But that dream took a hit in September when she learned she had colon cancer and needed radiation and chemotherapy. At first, I was embarrassed. Um, I always thought of it as an old person's disease. Common symptoms for colon cancer include blood in the stool, thinner stools, sudden weight loss, and having a difficult time going to the bathroom. Doctors say in recent years, they've noticed their patients are getting younger. You know, one in five colorectal cancer patients nowadays is under the age of 50 and above the age of 20, which is much higher than it was before. Devin Olivieri started reporting symptoms when he was 19, but went undiagnosed for more than 10 years. I think because I was young and healthy, the doctors assumed that I was it was just like, you know, the blood was hemorrhoids, the the, la- uh, the dehydration was just, I'm an athlete and I need to drink more. When he was training a client, he collapsed and was rushed to hospital. Further tests confirmed his cancer diagnosis and surgery was needed immediately. It was right on the line. My tumor, which was uh, right around here under the rib cage near my spleen, inside the large intestine, was stage three itself. Timing was on Devin's side. He is now three years cancer-free. But doctors say if you have symptoms, it's important to address them head-on and not wait. 90% of colorectal cancers who are diagnosed in their early stages um, will ultimately survive and be cured of the disease. Melissa will know in April if her treatments have been successful and is hopeful she can start planning those big trips once again, you can prevent a lot of pain um, if you get it checked out right away. I think that no matter how embarrassed you think you are, it's wor- way worse when it gets to a point of concern. Catherine Ward, Global News. Still ahead, the Canadian engineer flying high on Mars. I mean, we're flying on another planet. Come on. How far Alibay is helping the Mars mission take a giant leap in aviation. And a boost for BC owl breeding, why a lot of hope rides on this new arrival from the U.S. BC's spotted owl population is endangered, but a breeding program is doing a lot of work to help the species hold on. One big obstacle is a shallow gene pool. But as Linda Aylesworth shows us, a recent arrival from the U.S. could help reestablish the BC population. Small Eyes, so named because of a disorder that left her visually impaired, is the ambassador of the Northern Spotted Owl Breeding Program in Langley and the only glove-trained owl of her species in Canada. She uh, is a good education bird, so we try to socialize her as much as we can. While she helps raise awareness about the plight of her species, of which as few as three remain in the wilds of BC, the other spotted owls here at the breeding program are helping in another way. So the ultimate goal of the program is to have 250 individuals in the wild, which will then become a self-sustaining population that the breeding program won't have to exist anymore. Since the breeding program started in 2007, it's grown from 6 to 29 owls. 
Slowly but surely, they're getting there. But there's a potential problem. And with small populations, there's a possibility of inbreeding. So Cali coming all the way from California, his genetics are going to be so important for the breeding program. This is Cali. He was rescued a couple of years ago from the side of a road near San Francisco. And he was uh, found to have a, an eye injury. So he was brought into a rehab center. They had to remove his eye, unfortunately, and he was deemed unreleasable. After wrangling with permits and COVID restrictions, Callie was at last allowed over the border a few weeks ago and settled in nicely right away. And he's a really great owl, um, and he's hearing spotted owls for the first time, um, which is very exciting for us to, to see that interaction. The genetic diversity that Callie will offer this program is priceless. And while he arrived a little late for this year's breeding season... We're hoping that... Uh, this time next year, he'll be paired up with a female who's genetically distinct from him and will have uh, Cali babies uh, this time next year. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Cali babies, so cute. <laughs> like it. A large turnout this afternoon in North Vancouver to save a big and beloved tree. Organizers say they're protesting plans to cut down a 200-year-old cedar tree on East 21st in Lonsdale. The removal is part of a redevelopment project which will see a new building put in its place. A petition calling for Darwin Construction to revisit the plan and keep the tree has already gathered more than 16,000 signatures. We're here every morning from 7 till 7 and, uh, and we're just doing our best to keep it in the ground. And whatever that means, whatever we need to do, we will do it. And, uh, you know, we're making a stance here as a community that we, this is important to us. This is our history. That's about a quarter of the population in North Van, so a lot of interest there, of course. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at our forecast. We just have, what is it, Tuesday or Wednesday to get through? And then that's it. So a little bit of a blip in the forecast. Today it's gorgeous. We're on the third official day of spring. Uh, we had the sunshine in the mix, but it was very windy out there. This is a great video that was captured in Vancouver by Sheila, showing us a few of those that are out there braving it, uh, doing some kite surfing. A current shot of what it looks like overlooking English Bay with the sunset just after or just before 7.30. Temperatures today bumped up to 10 degrees. We're currently sitting at 9, but we'll continue to see windy conditions leading in towards the evening hours. We're at a westerly wind right now at 30 kilometers per hour. Overnight tonight, though, it is going to cool off with an increase in cloud cover. We're down to 2, and we have a fair bit of cloud cover overcast tomorrow through the day, and temperatures will bump up to 10 degrees. This is the next weather maker that is going to push in along the north and central coast. It intensifies for tomorrow with a significant amount of rain and then moving in by the afternoon along the northern and central half of the island and then for Metro Vancouver we'll start to see some rain tomorrow night and then continuing to see on and off showers on our Wednesday. Special weather statement for the following areas along the north and central coast where we'll have that significant amount of rain. High elevation elevations for the mountain ranges between 16 up to 90 and inland could see anywhere between 30 to 50 millimeters. Heaviest rainfall on Tuesday and then easing off as early as the morning hours on Wednesday. Now along the north North Coast tomorrow also seeing some rain mixed with wet snow and then changing over to rain, similar for the central interior. So those are the spots we'll keep in mind, especially for the morning hours. And the southern half will actually have dry conditions. It's pleasant. We'll watch the rain moving in by tomorrow night. So a heads up, temperatures will bump up to 10 degrees. And then we've got on and off showers on Wednesday. Looks like we'll have some bright spots on our Thursday, Friday. So it rebounds quite quickly. All right, tonight's weather window. This one, a fun one. Fresh powder, Mount Seymour, T-Rex enjoying it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you have that 
costume, don't you, Sophie? Uh, well, I kind of borrowed it from someone. Oh, did I don't you? know if okay. I ever gave it back. <laughs> I love that costume. That was so fun. <laughs> uh, all right, Squire's here. And, uh, yeah, I guess one team's trash is another team's treasure, Squire. Well, the Canucks love to poke around the Maple Leafs blue box, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, in fact, there might be a new show, Maple Leaf Pickers, starring Jim Benning, because the Canucks picked up another Toronto cast off today, Travis Boyd. Um, from what I've seen, I, I liked him. Our scouts have liked him, and... Obviously, Jim Jim did too. Yes, but Boyd hasn't arrived in Vancouver yet. When he does, and is he through all the COVID protocols, expect the Canucks to get him in the lineup right away. All right, also tonight, the Canadian rocket star preparing for her Wright Brothers moment on Mars. A uh, cardiovascularly prepared Squire Barnes joins us now. I, I'm not, there's, there's no, car, uh, car, maybe there is. We're going to get you a <laughs> There's no cardio moment. I, I Good. very quietly walked between my office and <laughs> Yvonne was nice enough to get out of my way just in case I had to run. She knows the game. Uh, speaking of games, the game between the Montreal Canadiens and Edmonton Oilers was postponed tonight after two halves. Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Yoel Armia were both put on the COVID protocol list. Now, this is the first time that a Canadian game has been postponed this season. The NHL is not providing any details, but it makes you wonder what the Canuck players are thinking because, of course, they played Montreal Friday and Saturday. Now, the players are tested each day. The NHL hasn't told the Canucks anything in regards to their game tonight against Winnipeg, so it looks to be all good to go. Now, last month, as we know, the Canucks were practicing social distancing a little too much. It's right to do it in everyday life, but not in the standing. So with all the wins this month, the Canucks are now uncomfortably close to the Montreal Canadiens, who hold the final playoff spot, which many of us thought the Canucks wouldn't be able to do, especially with Elias Pettersson not in the lineup. But Thatcher Demko, and I have to say some better bounces, have changed things. Remember the first couple of months when the Canucks were losing most of their games? They didn't seem to be getting any breaks. Now those breaks are starting to even itself out. Uh, Jay is at Rogers Arena to talk about tonight's game and the Canucks' latest Maple Leaf cast-off. Yes, there's another one coming to Vancouver. Centerman Travis Boyd. Vancouver Canucks back home following their successful four-game road trip where they picked up seven out of a possible eight points. Tonight they begin the first of two against the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets sit third, three points up on the Canucks. Canadians still hold down that fourth and final playoff spot, two points ahead of Vancouver. But both Montreal and Winnipeg holding four games in hand. It's another couple of March meaningful games that the Canucks will continue to play without Elias Pettersson. Pettersson remains out of the lineup for at least another week with an undisclosed injury that the Canucks didn't at first think to be too serious. We originally thought it wasn't going to be um, a huge issue. Um, Obviously, it's gone longer than we thought. Um, hoping that we we see him sooner than later. Uh, he won't play this week, and then we get a we get the break. So hopefully, he makes some improvements, and he's he's back sooner than later. I was kind of injured in the crunch time last year when we needed to win hockey games, and um, you know I'm sure it's frustrating. Um, you know, obviously, P is a big part of this team, and um, you know he's a player we we like to have in the lineup, obviously each and every night. But um, you know, I think. I think uh, he'll come back stronger and, and, 
be ready to go whenever whenever that is. Last week, the Canucks reached into the Leafs' recycling bin when they claimed Jimmy VC off waivers. This morning, they picked up another Leafs cast-off, claiming centerman Travis Boyd. Boyd, three goals and eight points in 20 games with the Leafs. The 27-year-old was in his first year with Toronto after kicking around the Capitals organization, who drafted him in the sixth round back in 2011. Our scouts have watched him. Um, I know this is a guy that they've talked about in the past. Uh, I've, I've watched a little bit of video on him. And... Um, from what I've seen, I, I liked him. Our scouts have liked him, and obviously Jim, Jim did too. So, um, like I said, it's I think it's a good pickup, and looking forward to seeing him. It'll be interesting to see how much jump the Canucks have to start this game. Saturday's shootout loss to the Canadians marked the fourth straight contest that the Canucks went to overtime and fifth time in their last seven games. From Rogers Arena, where Thatcher Demko starts between the pipes again. Jay Janor, Global Sports. The brothers Kachuk ignoring each other, Brady and Matthew. Can't ignore this, though. It's a two-on-one. It's Ryan Dezingle. He beats Markstrom 1-0 for Ottawa. Can the Senators do the Canucks a favor and beat the Flames, who are right behind Vancouver in the standings? Johnny Gaudreau from Lucic, 1-1. With only five minutes left in the third, but before the third period was out, the winning goal, courtesy of Chris Tierney. So they do do the Canucks a favor. They beat Calgary 2-1 to one and the Flames stay behind the Canucks. Uh, Alfonso Davies will miss Bayern Munich's next two league games after getting a red card for this foul on the weekend. Originally given a yellow card, but upon video review it was upgraded to a red. However, Davies will likely play for Canada in some World Cup qualifiers this week against Bermuda and the Cayman Islands on uh, Thursday and Sunday. Both games are in Florida. Speaking of Canada and qualifying this is olympic qualifying and that man was brilliant today uh, alan jerome the goaltender for haiti canada won its first game of this qualifying tournament but this afternoon they could not beat jerome two stops off tejan buchanan and then buchanan tejan buchanan sets up blue tabla and he gets stopped by alan jerome incredible scoreless between Canada and Haiti. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Sarah McDonald now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sarah? That's right, Sophie. Coming up tonight, another longtime downtown business is moving out of the neighborhood. The Irish Heather Bar has been an institution for 24 years, but now it's moving on. It's just the latest Gastown business to shutter its doors during the pandemic. We'll speak to the owner about his reasons for moving. We'll have that story and more. Plus, Squire joins us again tonight with all the Canucks highlights at 11 o'clock. Guys. What is Gastown without the Irish Heather? Hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Sarah. All right, when we come back, a little ingenuity goes a long way for a Canadian engineer on a Mars mission. That's next. A few weeks from now, a button will be pressed at NASA and history will be made. For the first time ever, a helicopter will fly over another planet. It's an amazing story, as is the important role a Montreal-born woman has taken in making it happen. 
Global's Mike Trelay reports. History is filled with the impossible. In 1903, the Wright brothers changed the world. And in a few weeks, NASA will try and change space exploration with its own moment of flight on Mars, 246 million kilometers from Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. I think so. I mean, we're flying on another planet. Come on. Like, you know, it's kind of it's kind of crazy because, you know, we we've only been flying on Earth for for about, a, you know, 100 years. And now we're saying we're going to go to another planet where gravity is different. Ingenuity is its name. And it's apropos. NASA had to design a helicopter that could fly an atmosphere 99 percent thinner than on Earth and survive minus 90 degrees Celsius temperatures at night. After years of testing, all that's left is to prove it can fly on the red planet. What a journey to get to this point for Ingenuity and systems engineer Farah Alibay. I think the best description is meandering for my path, and and eventually I made it, and I made it where I wanted to be, um, mostly because this was my dream. And now the Montreal-born, Cambridge-educated granddaughter of immigrants who fled civil war in Madagascar has become one of the new faces of NASA. But I think what we forget to talk about is is all the failures along the way, all the sacrifices that had to happen, all of the wrong turns or the, the detours that were taken. Life certainly wasn't easy for Alibé, growing up as a minority in Quebec, as a Francophone in England, and overcoming NASA's lack of diversity. She applied to the agency over 50 times, eventually getting noticed by the right people. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> it's why she relishes the opportunity to speak with young girls. So for our first flight, we're not going to go very far. We're actually just hopping up and down. And so we're going to fly about 40 seconds to one minute, right? So the same way as like, you don't learn to run first, you walk first or crawl. That's what we're doing. Alibé is a genius at this stuff, but it's the way she speaks to an eight-year-old that makes her a rocket star. Mike Trollet, Global News, Toronto. I like to think she was saying hi to this Sophie. <laughs> it's really Mike Drolet's daughter Sophie. <laughs> so cute. Uh, okay, before we sign off, let's get a, one last look at that five-day forecast, Yvonne. A uh, little bit of a blip. Uh, for tomorrow, it'll be cloud cover. The rain starts to move in for tomorrow night and then unsettled with on and off showers on Wednesday. And then it rebounds, so it's quite quick. We're back into some sunshine. It'll be pleasant Thursday onwards and leading into the beginning of our weekend. So for tomorrow, mainly cloudy in the day and then some rain moving in for the evening. Not bad for the second week of spring break. Although, I guess, maybe the first week for some. But. Yeah, 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 that's true. And Canucks tonight, Squire. Yes, against the Jets. So we'll see if they can continue. Well, I guess they lost in a shootout the other night. But still, they're getting points. We'll see if they can pick up another one tonight. Good stuff. All right, thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.